and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. I'm Mallory Rubin, Deputy Editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished checking his Twitter notifications to see how many people realize that he once wrote an article with the headline, Aaron Judge has become the worst player in baseball and the deck. It was fun while it lasted. Big boy. (laughs) It's Ringer senior editor, Ryan O'Hanlon. The thing about that (laughs) is that he still is a big boy. Uh Uh-huh. And that that remains true. You got it right. I did. Um, And I've kidnapped Jason Concepcion. He's in a closet somewhere and I've forced Mallory to do a baseball podcast with me. Jason, I'm thinking of you, bud. Thinking of you right now. No maester, my maester. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, Ryan and I are here with you today because it's October, and that means it's time for the baseball playoffs, and that means it's time to get really, really excited about baseball. So throughout the month, you obviously can expect the usual knowledge bombs, pearls of wisdom, sabermetrically driven insights from Ben Lindbergh and Michael Bauman. And every now and then, you can expect less information from some other Ringer staffers who will be popping up on the feed. We're here with you today. Some other folks might make an occasional appearance. We'll see. We like baseball, even though everyone out there keeps saying young people don't. We love it. We can't get enough. And we're kind of young. We're kind of sort of young-ish. We're both really yeah. I feel old, man. I feel it in my bones and my soul. Yeah, you had to be rolled into the podcasting studio. Stuff. Really tough. <laughs> anyway, later on in the show, we're going to be joined by Robert Mays, Ringer, staff writer, and Cubs fan. And we're just going to chat with him for a few minutes about how he's feeling about the defending champs attempting to bring another title to Wrigleyville. And before that, we are going to do the casual fans guide to October. Pre-playoff superlatives, if you will. Yeah, only batting average and runs batted in. Those are the only stats we're going to use here. It's a VORP zone for me, bud. VORP free zone. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait to drop some XFIP knowledge on (laughs) you. But truly, there is a lot in baseball to enjoy and to get excited about. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to run through 10 of those things. And we're going to keep it brisk, keep it quick, talk about some of the things that we love. And to start, we want to go sort of broad, big strokes here. Which storyline heading into October? And we should say that a few games have been played already. So the wildcard games are in the past. The Astros, as we were walking down to the studio, were in the eighth inning of a resounding win over the Red Sox in game one of their ALDS series. The Yankees and Indians will be playing game one this evening. So this will be probably hitting your earbuds after a couple games are in the books, but there's a lot of October baseball ahead. So given how much October baseball is ahead, which storyline is the most compelling to you? And that can be because it's beautiful and moving. It can be because it's fun. It can be because it's weird. It can be because it's scary. It can be about a team, a player, a city, anything. You pick. Well, I'm looking at the box score and Aaron Judge just struck out. So I think, (laughs) will he continue to be the worst player in baseball is the main one. This is a good corner for you. (laughs) This is a good corner for you to die on and to stake your journalistic integrity and reputation on. Yeah, I say the things that no one else wants to say. That's You're not afraid. That's what they say about you. They no. say he's got great hair, he dresses <laughs> like he lives inside of a J. Crew catalog, and he's not afraid to bring the unpopular opinion to your computer screen. <laughs> to, for people that want a more popular opinion, 
or just a more grounded in reality <laughs> opinion, I guess. Uh, <laughs> the thing I'm most excited about, storyline I'm most excited about, is to see what happens with the Nationals. Mm-hmm. Um, they've won 555 games over the past six years. Five division titles. Had a run in the draft where they drafted Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg, and Anthony Rendon. Not bad. Three of the, what, 15 best players in baseball. Yeah. And guess what? No playoff series victories still. Yikes. Um, and That's I, like some Bengals level shit right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's very Bengals without Except all of the Except no darkness. one on the Bengals is, uh, <laughs> yeah. No one, no one on the Nationals, we hope we, as far as we know, is a monster and nobody on the Bengals is as good as any of the players you just named. This so other true. than that. Uh, Strasburg's slightly better than Andy Dalton. He probably would be a better quarterback. Um, I think what I'm most interested in with this is that Harper is not going to be on this team for much longer. The team they built around him, a lot of older players. So You said that with the certainty, by the way, that only a Yankee fan can possess. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> People would be uh, surprised to hear that I'm a Yankee fan, despite uh, <laughs> giving the truth about Aaron Judge. Um, but I think it's just fascinating. This team is great. They've been great for a long time, but it just hasn't come together in the playoffs. And this team isn't going to be this team for that long. So wow. I'm excited to see what happens. Real air of finality around that. Yeah. You know, I'm an Oriole fan, so I'm always threatened by the national success. There's a lot of like Masson regional sports network say, money Masson and rivalry. just, you know, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of beltway bias there. Mm-hmm. For me, I think that the most compelling storyline of the, the postseason is the Cleveland question. Cleveland's title chase. You know, the Indians lost the World Series last year in one of the most certainly entertaining and probably astonishing Game 7s that we've seen in sports, period. Yeah. And... It was a weird thing where because people were so excited about the Cubs, this is like a magical sports moment. Wow, the Cubs actually finally did it. We're literally witnessing history. It was one of those moments. Like I actually remember the two of us slacking each other and literally saying to each other, we're living through history right now. We're experiencing this live in the moment. And so because of that, everyone was just like, ah, man, sucks for Cleveland. And that was kind of it. Yeah, they were just roadkill on a predestined story, basically. Exactly. And so I I feel like now this is their year for Mm -hmm. redemption. And I don't know that you necessarily get to play the redemption card after you won an American League pennant. That's like pretty good. But they're probably the best team in baseball this year. I mean, whatever you think about, you know, what the Dodgers record maybe indicates. Mm -hmm. Certainly the Indians were the best team in the second half. I mean, the, the win streak... It was the kind of mind-boggling thing that it actually defies comprehension Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. There's also like the off-field kind of city-wide aspect of Cleveland as the sad sack sports Mm -hmm. town. And, you know, just because they finally got the title with LeBron and the Cavs, and certainly the way they did that coming back from 3-1 against the Warriors, like it didn't actually diminish the anguish that surrounds the other fan bases. It doesn't make the Browns less sad. Somehow, if anything, has magnified and amplified Mm -hmm. that angst for the fans of the other teams. The LeBron factor is also amazing because he is, of course, the avatar for the city, (laughs) but he's a known Yankee fan. And Cleveland is playing the Yankees in the DS. The Yankee Twitter feed... (laughs) Put out a tweet, a picture of LeBron cheering on the Yankees wearing a Yankee hat. They are actively trying to shred the city's soul, which I respect and admire, but also it makes me more emotionally invested in Cleveland sort of getting what it deserves as a sports Mm -hmm. city. This Indian team, one of the best starting pitching rotations, not only in the game this year, but of all time. Yeah. 
a literally revolutionary bullpen. Mm-hmm. The Andrew Miller thing has fueled somewhere between 90 and 95% of the Ringers baseball coverage this year. <laughs> we'll continue to do so. <laughs> Francisco Lindor, I think everybody who pays attention to the sport at all agrees, mm-hmm. is one of the most electrifying players in the game. And Tito. You know, Terry Francona is, look, he's he's the manager of the team, but he's really the manager of our hearts. Yeah, he's the best. He's incredible. So what is not to love there? Unless you are a fan of one of the other teams and are actually rooting for your own franchise to win. Like, if you're me, if you're an Oriole fan and your team's not in it, other than, like, like it's compelling to me to think of the Dodgers winning, and we'll get to why mm-hmm. later, but nothing really tops the prospect of Cleveland winning another championship. Yeah, well, it sort of reminds me of last season. It's like the Cubs were by far the best team over the regular season and were sort of a juggernaut, but everyone still rooted for them right. because they were the Cubs. And this year, the Indians are better than they were last year, I think. Amazing. And they were so close to winning the World Series, yet they have all of this like lovable baggage. I remember lovable in— Lovable baggage. Lovable baggage. <laughs> beautiful. It's beautiful. In Lindbergh's piece after they won the title, after the Cubs won last year, he had a line that was essentially like the best team and the best story won. And that's yeah. pretty rare. And so to your point, like the prospect of getting that two years in a row as just a fan of the game is is pretty exciting. Yeah, that would be great. All right, let's move on to the second question. Number two. Mallory, who is going to deliver the most can't-miss at-bats over the course of the postseason? Oh, wow. So one of the things <laughs> that we like to do at The Ringer is this piece called the all MLB.tv team, yeah. right? This idea of like, if you're basically just going to choose to consume the sport through the idea of can't miss moments, can't miss players. And we thought it would be fun to sort of, you know, you can't really replicate that during the postseason because you don't have numerous, numerous, numerous games on at the same time. You're not forced to kind of flip around. But still, people are busy. Some of these games are on during the day. Like, the games start so early tomorrow out here on yeah. the West Coast. It's crazy. So if you're in a meeting, like, who do you have to tune in to see? That's kind of how we're thinking about this. And for me, it disgusts me to say this. I don't feel <laughs> good about this. Well. I don't want to believe this, <laughs> but I cannot, as a rational and, I hope, honest person, say anything other than Aaron Judge. I literally feel like I'm going to vomit right now because the Yankees are the Yankees and I don't want to be cheering for them or excited about them. But the Yankee, this Yankees team is kind of fun. Like, it's annoyingly fun. And yeah. Judge is a huge part of the reason why. I mean, look, literally every single at-bat for Aaron Judge has the prospect of either ending in an astonishing home run that brings him glory as a hitter or... An astonishing strikeout that brings glory to the pitcher. Like, the the stakes of every one of his at-bats are so high. It's basically going to be a highlight no matter the result. Like, you're very rarely going to get just some routine lame out. And so because of that, you're never going to want to miss it. You know, he already had one postseason home run. He had Mm -hmm. a homer in the wildcard game. And, Ryan, I'm not sure if you've heard, but um, he also had a rookie record 52 home runs this season. Now, I do feel compelled to note that he also had an American League leading 127 walks and a major league leading 208 strikeouts. He's the god of three true outcomes. He is the personification of baseball's three true outcomes evolution. And that just means that by definition, something interesting is going to happen almost every time he comes to the plate. So whether you care about him being 
the inevitable rookie of the year, whether you think he should be MVP, whether you're rooting for the Yankees, you're not going to want to miss it when he comes up. Yeah, I think the one thing I would say is that this topic is sort of a misnomer, calling it can't miss because Judge is sort of missing all the time. Wow, you're just refusing (laughs) to attempt to rehabilitate your own image here. It's a weird sort of commitment to self-sabotage that I've not seen It's total honesty. What about you? My pick would be the guy that everyone wishes Aaron Judge was, and that's Yasiel Puig. This is an iconic showing from me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Puig, Dodgers outfielder. The thing I love about him, it's like like Aaron Judge, he's swinging like Paul Bunyan is swinging an axe. You know, He's swinging an axe like a regular person, but he's... Only the axe looks like a toothpick. In his yeah, hands. he's gigantic. Puig is swinging a bat like he's hoping to swing hard enough that he knocks the earth out of orbit. <laughs> And everyone like forgets that a baseball game's even going on, and yes. he just changes the course of human history. Wow! Did Craig Gaines sketch that answer out for you, or no? We're not on good terms. <laughs> um, Puig is certainly not the best player in baseball, but he's my favorite one to watch because you know we talk about Judge. Anything can happen as far as three true outcomes with Puig. I think literally, literally. anything could happen. And he also this is not quite an at bat thing, but. He kisses his batting coach. It's true. All the time. Beautiful. It's so cute. The other thing about Puig is that this is both a good thing and a bad thing. He basically can't separate phases of the game, Mm -hmm. right? So if he makes an incredible play in the outfield, if he fucks up on the base paths, like whatever happens in another facet of the game is going to impact him when he's at the plate in some way for sure. Yeah. And that might not necessarily be in the Dodgers' favor, but it's probably going to make for entertaining TV. What cable company do you have out here? Like, do you get to watch the Dodgers during the season? Direct TV. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So that's I mean, actually— the, That's the best package. Well, it we is. We don't need to get into that. Wow. Well, <laughs> well, best package is uh, coming up later. That's true. In the, uh, <laughs> Shout out Gary Sanchez. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's part of it, I think, too, is like a lot of people who live in L.A., and the rest of the country is not going to care about this, but like don't get to watch the Dodgers. So yeah. the prospect of seeing somebody who you basically only consume in like a highlight level mm-hmm. is pretty exciting. Yeah. Number three, what about the guys throwing the ball to those hitters? Which pitcher, and this can be a starter or a reliever, is absolute appointment viewing for you heading into October? I'm going to go with Lance McCullers, okay, the Houston Astros. That's a weird pick. I like it, but it's weird. It might be appointment viewing because there's literally one appointment that you're going to have to make because <laughs> he might only pitch like one inning <laughs> the entire postseason. Right. A little bit about McCullers. He's sort of been one of the most exciting starters in baseball since he came out of the scene a couple of years ago. But he's one of those guys like you watch him pitch and it's just like pitching is just bad for you yeah. it's not good for the human body for anyone to do it but people you, shouldn't do it <laughs> you in particular shouldn't do it and he sort of reminds me of Puig it's like when he's throwing the ball it's like he wants to hurt the air or like definitely injure his catcher's hand and he has this insane knuckle curveball that is like the fastest knuckle curve in baseball history and those three things knuckle curve and speed aren't supposed to go together <laughs> and it, when he like throws it right it looks like a wiffle ball but I think the issue of Throwing baseballs like a wiffle ball is it sort of leads to inconsistency. His ERA since June is over eight, which is That's, not what you want. <laughs> it's not great, right? He was hurt in the second half. He's typically a starter, but it seems like he's probably going to come out of the bullpen for the Astros. Maybe he turns into tiny Andrew Miller. Aw. <laughs> that would be great. Did Andrew Miller ever wear Batman cleats? Do we know? McCullers definitely did. Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> probably not. My guy here is... You know, no shade at Lance McCullers, but my guy's like legitimately a star pitcher. I'm picking Kershaw, guys, for various reasons. 
I don't know if anything will dominate the postseason discussion. And we've talked about Judge. We've talked about Cleveland more than whether Kershaw is going to fuck up again. This is just in the air constantly for him. Okay, quickly. Career regular season totals. Just the the surface level stuff here. 2.36 ERA. 2.60 FIP. 1.002 1.002 whip, 9.9 strikeouts per nine inning, 0.6 homers per nine inning, and 144 wins, 64 losses. Career playoff totals? Infinite, infinite, <laughs> infinite. <laughs> 4.55 ERA, 1.157 whip, 10.7 strikeouts per nine. So the strikeout totals are actually up. One homer per game and a four and seven record. Now, I want to state clearly and for the record, I do not think these things are Clayton Kershaw's fault. I am team Kershaw. He has been in situations in the past that were severely mismanaged, often because of bullpen limitations. The team is not in that situation anymore. He does not have to basically be the sole bridge to Kenley Jansen. And here's the other thing. While his failures, quote unquote, in the postseason have generated most of the headlines around his playoff career, he has also delivered plenty of electrifying moments. And like one of them last year was the single best moment of the playoffs other than game seven of the World Series when he demanded the fucking baseball. He pulled a Baumgartner. He was just like, I'm taking this ball. This is me. And came in and saved game five of the NLDS against the Nationals to lead the Dodgers to the championship series against the Cubs. That was like the kind of moment that clarifies for you why you care about sports, Mm -hmm. right? It was incredible. We were shaking. Sometimes I just will go back into the Ringer MLB Slack and look at our exchanges to each other just to feel alive. And (laughs) look, he has had some injury issues the last couple of years, but even in those injury-shortened seasons, he has been, when he's on the mound, as electric as ever. This whole, like, Scherzer, Kluber, who's really the best pitcher in baseball now talk is, like, cute, Mm -hmm. I guess, but Kershaw's still the most dominant pitcher in the game, period. And so to me, the dual prospect of, one, just watching him, period, and then, two, watching him try to silence the haters out there and finally lead his team to a championship and get his fucking ring is as exciting to me as I think anything in October. And that's why I was saying earlier when I was talking about Cleveland's title chase that I had a one other contender in the mix, yeah. and it's this. I am deeply, deeply invested, probably as deeply invested as I can be as a non-Dodger fan in seeing Kershaw be great this October. Yeah, I think when Trevor Bauer hurt his hand on the drone, that was the second best moment of the playoffs last year. Third was Kershaw. But I, you're right. It's like rarely do you... I guess I kind of felt this way with LeBron for a while when everyone was like, this right. guy isn't clutch. Rarely does like the best player in a sport are his performances so emotionally fraught every time he goes out there. And it, there's just something different about a Kershaw star compared to every other pitcher because of everything you mentioned. And you know he's aware of it, too. Yeah. And that's just like one of the most compelling things in sports, period, is when you know that the person you're watching knows the thing you're thinking. Mm-hmm. That's just very rare and very cool. So I'm excited for that. All right, on to question four. Mal, Mm. who is going to deliver the postseason performance that leads to the most inevitable they should vote for awards after October talk? This is a good question. I like this one. Just in case anyone out there doesn't know. So MVP voting, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, all of it. That's locked after the regular season, right? What happens in October does not matter for the voting, even though we don't find out who won until later on. So this was my answer already. I swear to God. 
check the fucking timestamp in the Google Doc. <laughs> this was my answer before the Astros and Red Sox played game one today, but it's definitely my answer now. Jose Altuve, second baseman for your Houston Astros. <laughs> now, I think Altuve should be the 2017 American League MVP as it stands. Agreed. I am, however, worried that the judge-centric home run lust might lead enough people to vote for judge that judge wins instead. And so I think that even though Altuve is firmly not only in the conversation for the MVP, but maybe the leader, he's still eligible Mm -hmm. for this discussion because the judge possibility is extremely real. So, okay. It would be a severe understatement to say that Altuve is already off to a good start. Uh, Guys, he had three home runs in game one of the ALDS. That's a lot. Three Mm -hmm. home runs in one game is uh, pretty darn good. According to our own Zach Cram, master of the fact. The Zacked. Hashtag Zacked. Said that Altuve is only the second player in a division series game to hit three home runs. So this is truly rarefied air. And... Even if he had not had this performance today, why would he be the answer for this? Well, he's going to hit for power. He's definitely going to hit for average, batting champion yet again. He's going to drive in runs. He's going to score runs. He's going to steal bases. He's going to make some amazing defensive plays. And he's going to do it all while being five foot six and delighting viewers who are tuning into the game with his smiles and his energy and his flair. He's fun to watch and he's really good. He's also really, really consistent, which I think is like an underrated but extremely important thing, especially obviously in a high pressure moment like postseason baseball. He rarely strikes out. He frequently walks. His WRC plus this season was 160. 160! And just in the most boiled down version, He is the best player on maybe, arguably, potentially the best team in the playoffs. Like, I personally think it's the Indians, as I said, but I definitely think there's a case for the Astros. Maybe, arguably, potentially. Maybe, arguably, potentially. (laughs) I want to make sure I get all three of those qualifiers in. So if the Astros keep advancing, which certainly looks like they're going to for at least one round, then Altuve is clearly going to be a big reason why, and he's going to earn a lot of love for it. So I think he's very well positioned. Certainly if he does not actually win MVP, there will be a lot of this, oh, if only we had been able to factor in his October performance talk. What about you? Who's your pick? I think, you know, this sort of centers around just the idea of narrative and how those are created. I I will say that I did pick this one after watching a baseball game, <laughs> and I'm going to say Paul Goldschmidt, partially because... Is it because he's embracing being bald? No. He's leaning in. No, absolutely Leaning into not. the new hair. I'm, I'm team Rogaine. <laughs> um, I was going to comment. I didn't, you know, I just have <laughs> noticed you. that you're you. looking a little fuller up top. <laughs> <laughs> no, Paul Goldschmidt, first baseman for the Diamondbacks, sort of one of these guys who the past couple of years he's solidified his place as one of the best players in baseball but he plays for the Diamondbacks and his name is Paul Goldschmidt yeah which I think are probably marks against him in the MVP narrative and I think he's kind of the guy who he just has the obvious counting stats like 36 home runs 120 RBIs and 18 steals from a first baseman for like the average person seeing that a first baseman's doing that you're kind of like holy shit that's everything and he's just really good had a home run against the Rockies going to be playing against our man, Clayton Kershaw. So sort of batting practice for him, I imagine that'll be. So I think Goldschmidt sort of has the being thrust into the spotlight and sort of the the counting stats that uh, pop a little bit. 
I like that one. I'm a Goldie fan. I am. Yeah. Okay. Number five. And this one is a little undefined. It's sort of open to interpretation, yeah. but we're going to interpret it. Who is about to become a household name? And before you answer, I want you to do your best to try to explain to people how we're kind of thinking about this, how we're approaching this question. So I think the sort of barometer for this is players that my dad wouldn't know. Right. And I think my dad sort of thinks that David Wells is still the best pitcher in the major leagues. Right. So players who are legitimately very good Mm -hmm. already, but might not be famous, they are eligible for this. This isn't just like September call-ups, rookies who haven't gotten a shot yet. This can be someone who is established but just hasn't gotten his due. Yeah, it's name recognition. Perfect. Jose Ramirez, superstar utility (sighs) bound for the Cleveland Indians. Well, I guess... I'm now negating my answer by calling him a superstar, but superstar level production, Mm -hmm. utility man. He plays second, short, third base, all positions basically at an all-star level, I think I would say. Coming into the season, I think everyone sort of expected Francisco Lindor to make the jump into MVP contention, the shortstop for the Indians. And Ramirez has just straight up been better than Lindor all year. And I think he, by virtue of being a utility player and not having like a very specific skill other than versatility. Right. Not as many people know who he is. And I think that, you know, last year Ben Zobris was the World Series MVP and he's a utility player. It's crazy, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> but it, it does seem like for whatever reason, utility players seem, I think probably because there's so much matchup making by managers, the utility players, there always seem to be a couple that blow up in October. And I think Ramirez is already a superstar level talent. And I think after this postseason, based on how we're both feeling about the Indians, everyone's going to know who he is. Your dad's just going to be texting you left and right. Yeah. Who's this Jose Ramirez Where's David Wells? I'd I'd love to see that matchup. (laughs) (laughs) My dude, my pick here, I'm going to go with Diamondback starter slash sudden reliever, (laughs) which we'll get into in a minute, Robbie Ray. And Robbie Ray has been an incredible pitcher this year. So like this does not indicate in any way that I think he is just about to be good for the first time, but I think he's about to be widely, widely noticed outside of hardcore baseball circles for the first time. So this season, he posted a 2.89 ERA, 3.72 FIP, struck out 218 batters, and that was on his way to a, to leading the National League with 12.1 strikeouts per nine innings. His baseball reference war was five. His fan graphs number was a little lower, but when you're hitting five, that's damn good. And mm-hmm. he was sincerely one of the best pitchers in the NL this year. But because this was, first of all, his first truly dominant year, and second of all, he plays for the Diamondbacks, he didn't really rise to that level of true national prominence. You know, he's on a team that just full stop does not get a lot of love and attention. And then... On that team, he's on an incredibly loaded rotation. So if people are going to actually finally write about the Diamondbacks, talk about the Diamondbacks, they're not necessarily going to focus in on him. You know, they're probably going to talk about Zach Greinke or Paul Goldschmidt Mm -hmm. or some of the other more famous players on that team. AJ (laughs) Pollock. That that fucker. As you know, dead to me after I drafted him at the beginning of the third round in a fantasy baseball draft last year. And then literally that same day, he suffered the elbow injury and missed the entire season. Let's keep talking about your fantasy team. I, as you know, I'm, I'm... more than happy to share my <laughs> personal fantasy stories with the Ringer audience. 
Uh, that sounded, when I said personal fantasy stories, like I might be talking about something different. And I just want you guys to know that's also true. <laughs> Happy to share at any point. Um, <laughs> so, right, right, on a team that doesn't get a lot of love, on a load of rotation on that team, and as a result has remained more obscure than his production indicates that he should have. And so while, you know, baseball scribes and baseball fans and baseball nerds certainly know his name and are aware of his ability, casual fans maybe don't. And that's exciting. And also, of course, would feel compelled to note that he has a great beard. And this is a playoffs full of great beards. We're going to talk about beards with Robert Mays a little bit later. And unfortunately... The Diamondbacks used him. They yeah. used him in relief in the wild card game. So now he can't start game one of the NLDS against the Dodgers like people thought he was going to. Yeah. But he will be back in our lives soon. And the Diamondbacks have been damn good against the mm-hmm. Dodgers this year. So we're certainly positioned for the possibility of him performing well against the quote unquote nominal best team in baseball. And that would certainly elevate his profile. Yeah, and he throws so many strikeouts that he's the kind of guy that it's people remember people. strikeouts. Exactly. And the beard. It's a well. highlight culture and a beer culture. <laughs> Number six, Mal. Mm. Which inevitable, spectacular failure are you most excited for? Okay, so this is a tough one because it, it makes us sound like assholes. Uh, we're makes us expressing sound like joy at the prospect of someone else's misery. But let's be honest, that's a part of life. It's certainly a part of fandom. So... A lot of choices here. Certainly plenty of team-level choices here, but I'm going for the individual. To me, the prospect of seeing Dusty Baker, currently managing the Washington Nationals, flail in spectacular fashion and make the kind of mistake that somehow torpedoes his team's chances feels so inevitable based on his history Mm -hmm. that I kind of can't help but get excited for it, even though that makes me... Sound like a jerk. Here's the thing that Dusty Baker said to media this week. I know there's a championship coming. I know it's already written. All you've got to do is believe it and then act. Here is a thing that we know. Even though Dusty Baker has not said it out loud this week. He literally cannot be trusted (laughs) to set a sabermetrically sound lineup or properly manage a pitching staff. So Steven Strasburg, for example, finally healthy after suffering a few injuries this year, pitching definitely like one of the three or four best pitchers in the game, kind of like the guy we've been waiting to see the last few years. It just seems like a guarantee that Dusty Baker is going to say, you know what seems like a great idea to me today? Let me let young Steven here throw 160 pitches and yeah. blow out his arm forever. Like, that prospect feels really real. It really does. And Dusty is no stranger to <laughs> these kinds of crushing miscalculations. And he is certainly intimately familiar with postseason defeats. You know, he's been six outs away from winning it all. Mm -hmm. He was five outs away from taking the Cubs to the World Series. And like that might not sound like such a big deal now to people listening to this in 2017 after the Cubs have won a World Series. But guess what? That was a big fucking deal at the time. He got Bartman, dude. Like that's not his fault, but that's the kind of thing that happens to Dusty Baker teams, you know? He got Kershaw (laughs) last year. The Kershaw save that we were talking about earlier, that came against Baker's Nationals. So Dusty Baker has basically either been the victim of his own bad decisions or these kind of like odd quirks of fate that just seem to happen around him. And basically, I just have no reason to assume that it won't happen again. Yeah. Do you think his son is going to run onto the field again? 
he's now a nationals prospect, which is like a thing you can't make up. Also, then maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> my spectacular failure is uh, one Clayton Kershaw. Oh my god, blowing it again for the Dodgers. Oh my god, excited? Am I excited for this? JT Snow could save Dusty Baker some, but he can't save you from these <laughs> bad takes. <laughs> Here's the thing about excitement. Oh, God. Here we go. Excitement does not necessarily mean that you are expecting a good thing to happen. That is true. I am excited with terror. Right. For Clayton Kershaw. There's dread. Real dread. You know, you mentioned a lot of the, how a lot of these things are out of his control. At the end of the day, every time someone says at the end of the day, you know that something great is coming. (laughs) He just hasn't been as good in the playoffs as he's been in the regular season, which... Part of that is probably his own doing because he might be the greatest pitcher of all time, basically, in the regular season. And expecting him to keep that up against all of the best teams in baseball is maybe foolish. But, you know, he's pitched 90 innings and his ERA is nearly five in the postseason. And that that is just a weird thing. And I know that a lot of baseball people get defensive. I can hear (laughs) our producer, Isaac Lee, who is a Dodgers fan like aggressively sighing (laughs) from the other side of the studio. What I'm saying here is these things happened. I'm not saying Clayton Kershaw is bad, but Uh he did have these bad performances. And whether or not it should, it matters for the way people are going to think about Clayton Kershaw's career. Right. This is a bad take. It's not even a take. This is an extremely bad take. Wow. Aaron Judge is a take. Clayton Kershaw, this is just a fact. These are the facts. And I'm excited to sort of, you know, it's like we talked about. Clayton Kershaw, whatever you say, whatever you want to say about narratives, what he does this postseason is sort of defining how people are going to remember his career. And that's a really exciting thing to get to watch. I so, think. OK, are you more excited for the prospect of that kind of shit show happening again and, and him getting sucked back into that vortex of bullshit? Or are you more excited for the prospect of him finally silencing those people? The former, right? Yeah, I think oh, so. Oh, man, you're a monster. <laughs> you're a monster. <laughs> okay. Let's stay on the subject of dread for a minute. Okay. Number seven, which potential playoff outcome? An outcome can be anything. It can be who actually wins. It can be a, a, a meeting along the way. It can be an individual player stat line, anything. Which potential playoff outcome are you dreading the most? It's not even a question. If the Red Sox won the World Series, I would probably quit the ringer. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I'm just done with this team. I I, totally like I. Chris Sale is not good against good teams. Dustin Pedroia still looks like a fifth grade bully still. And he's like has fifth grade children, I would imagine. Andrew Benintendi's hair. That's tough. Got to put a lacrosse helmet on that guy's head. He should be an investment (laughs) banker. Rick Porcello, Porcello, I don't even know how you pronounce it. Reigning Cy Young winner. Guy was pitching mop-up duty in game one against the Astros. Just a mighty fall from grace. Their most interesting pitcher is essentially hated by Boston media. Yeah. Just this team needs to get swept and swept out of my life. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) That was beautiful, I have to say, uh, for your future here at the company. I hope Bill Simmons never hears it, but it was beautiful. Uh, I have kind of a similar answer. It's generally for the same reasons. It's a little more specific. The prospect of the Yankees and Red Sox meeting in the American League Championship Series makes me want to throw myself into a volcano. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I want the lava to be like 
cool enough still that I feel I really feel it I feel my body like disintegrating I want the pain to really justify because if you don't feel it you're still going to be thinking (laughs) exactly yeah I need to be able to take something else with me to the to the deep abyss Ryan I can't do it I can't believe we're only two outcomes away from these two teams meeting in the American League Championship Series again I just cannot believe this is even a possibility they met and we asked Cram to quickly look up a couple of years for us here. 99, 03, and 04. So that's not actually that often, but somehow still it feels like it's happened every fucking year of our mm-hmm. lives as conscious beings in the world. Obviously, a lot of that is just the, you know, that, that hey, that East Coast media bias, you yeah. know? Tell me about it. The amount of coverage that these two teams in this rivalry got, even when they were both kind of down, mm-hmm. like... It's just so annoying, and I'm so tired of it. And also because Aaron Boone is in one of the broadcast booths, we keep having to hear about that series over and over again. I think that as much as I hate the Yankees and as much as I want them to be defeated soundly and for Yankee fans to be truly miserable, as a person who cares about baseball, I can acknowledge and even accept begrudgingly that the Yankees advancing and Aaron Judge like being in the World Series, that's a good thing for the sport. That will get yeah. people interested and mm-hmm. engaged. But if part of the path to that is facing the Red Sox, I just basically can't stomach it. Like, I just don't know how I'll get through it. The thought of it makes me like sweat and shiver. Yeah. You know, I don't really have much of an emotional connection with the Yankees anymore like I did when I was a kid. And it's like this prospect of it is making me feel just really sick to my stomach as well, maybe for different reasons. Also, like the Astros and the Indians are so fun. That's the other thing. It's not just what we would have to be like forced to suffer through, which is bad enough. It's what we would be deprived of. Not getting to see the Houston-Cleveland matchup would be tragic. Not getting to see either of those teams would be basically just an unacceptable state of reality for me. I totally agree. While we're recording, the Indians just went up 3-0 on the Yankees, so... Maybe this is going to happen. <laughs> Love it. How many times has Judge struck out already? Uh, only once. So far. No, twice, yeah. actually. Oh, no. wow. Oh, Isaac. He's even exceeding my low expectations. Um, okay, question eight. Yeah. Which stadium experience is going to give viewers the most FOMO? This is an interesting First thing First time to I've consider. ever said FOMO. It sounded long. natural. Like, I think of you as like a hip millennial, someone who's always really just tapped into the, nice. the, the lingo, the slang yeah. of the moment. I don't like I don't need to ever look at Urban Dictionary if I'm like, what does this acronym mean? I just go ask you and you never know. (laughs) Yeah, it's a great relationship we have. One of the cool things about the playoffs is seeing these storied structures in their absolute peak usage. And it's very cool as much as we just took giant steaming shits on the Red Sox. It's pretty cool. (laughs) It's pretty cool to see Fenway in October. That gimmicky. Uh, green monster. <laughs> wow. You really, you, you do just have such conviction when you land on a take. I really admire it. Love Dodger Stadium. It's a wonderful place to be. I like being there in person. like seeing it on TV when I rarely get the chance to because, again, we can't watch Dodger games here. But nothing really comes close to Wrigley Field still, I don't think. And, like, I don't think that the amount of airtime Wrigley got last year in any way like detracts from that. I think if anything, it amplifies it. It was just like the stadium felt like the epicenter, not only of that city, but of the entire universe during Cubs games last October. And it was the kind of like electric thing that you literally could feel even if you were on your couch and you would give anything to be there, but you just felt lucky to be able to like watch it with some degree of remove. And 
I'm really curious to see if they're able to generate that same level yeah. of emotion and enthusiasm. I think they will be. And so I'm I'm really, really pumped to see Wrigley on TV. I can't wait. What about you? I'm going to go with the local Dodger Stadium. Okay, I have a note for you. <laughs> uh, one of the recurring rubrics at the Ringers, we have some notes. And here's a note for you. You live in Los Angeles, and if you have FOMO about Dodger Stadium, you can literally go to Dodger Stadium and watch a game. But the whole point is that I was never able to watch the Dodgers, and now I get to watch them, so then I will develop the FOMO that I don't have. I see. This is a predictive answer as much as anything. Well, I think it's also like, you know, I've been to Wrigley Field, been to Fenway. God, what a fucking I've only been to two baseball games in my whole life. Dodger Stadium is my favorite stadium to go to. Have you been to Camden Yards? No. Well, get back to me then. I don't go to stadiums where there's like a warehouse within 100 feet of the stadium. (laughs) Good good rule. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Dodger Stadium is my favorite stadium to watch a game, partially because there's only so many sort of unifying factors about living in LA. Every neighborhood is very different. They're united by a highway, and that's basically the only thing. Dodger Stadium, you're at a game, you know you're in LA. And it just reminds you it's yeah. the stadium kind of feels like it's out of the 80s still. It's built into the side of a hill. So you walk in, you're on the top level. I love that. I, every it's time so I still good. get a kick out of that. You see the mountains in the background, the palm trees. And the thing about L.A. is that it's going to be like 65 degrees. So it's just truly always nice here. If you're a it's viewer watching nice these here. games, you're going to be reminded that you're not living in L.A. That's a really good point. People in a lot of other playoff cities are going to be extremely cold. Yep. And it's fucking 80 degrees here today and that's not going to be an issue with dodger stadium you know what else dodger dogs are good they just really are delicious they are so good i could go for like four right now some garlic fries maybe some of the soft serve that you get in a little mini helmet oh my god should we just go get some food yeah the last (laughs) couple questions (laughs) starving all of a sudden speaking of food actually number nine we could ask about managerial meddling and bullpen oversight and roster construction and lineup setting. But when it comes to the managers in October, there's truly only one thing that Ryan and I really care about. And it's this. Which food will Cleveland manager Terry Francona have to, at some sort of press conference, tell reporters that he woke up in the middle of the night and discovered was on some part of his body that does not typically have food on it. <laughs> so our spirit animal, Terry Francona, has this issue of essentially just binging on junk food at night. Yeah. He once ate 17 popsicles that is in correct. a night. That is correct. Also ordered a $44 ice cream sundae at 3 a.m. during the night before one of the games of the World Series. As one does. And woke up with peanut butter on his glasses. Can I, I know it's your turn to answer first, but Go can, I, can I just read a bit of the peanut butter quote from last postseason? Because yeah. this is, this is iconic. Yeah, go for it. I was having a nightmare that somebody was breaking my ribs and I woke up and my ribs hurt. I kind of got scared and I felt there and the TV remote was like stuck in my rib cage. Evidently, I had slept on it for a couple of hours. I got up to go to the bathroom and I mean, it hurt. (laughs) It's not easy being a bandager. My bedroom looked like a national disaster last night. I'm going to have to change a few habits when we're done here. I had peanut butter on my glasses, too. I was dipping pretzels into the jar of peanut butter. I go home and I hit the bed and everything's laid out next to me and I fell asleep at some point while eating. I wake up sometime in the middle of the night and I'll grab something. It's unfortunately 
It's true. <laughs> what kind of pretzels? He's do you offered this up. It's so good. I feel like the pretzels. So they're not going to be filled with peanut butter because he was using it's like a dipping situation, right? Oh wow, you think he was double doubling up inside and outside? Wow, there's enough of a textural consistency gap there that I feel like that would actually be unpleasant. Yeah, I'm going to say that they were sticks, like skinny pretzel sticks, and that he was dipping them into the peanut butter. Fell asleep with the peanut butter open and perhaps even a pretzel that had already been dipped in his hand and thus kind of moved his hand at some point over his face where his glasses were, if the glasses were next to him, rolled into them. I don't know how the remote and the ribs come into play in a way that would have avoided him breaking his glasses. A lot of questions, but also a lot of answers. And that's part of the beauty here. He just shared all this. (laughs) (laughs) So you can't pick peanut butter because he's obviously, he's already shared that with us. Okay, so... I'm a little worried about Terry Francona right now. He's yeah. <laughs> not using the best pitcher in the American League for game one against the Yankees. This is troubling. Starting a second baseman in that center field, you know, just one of the most important positions on the field. Um, I'm worried that he's tinkering and overthinking everything too much. So I'm worried he's going to give up junk food and he's going to wake up covered in protein powder. Wow. Are we talking like whey protein, muscle milk? What are you thinking? Is it flavored? I think he's taking this so far that it's like a pea-based organic protein. When you say pea, do you mean pea the vegetable or do you mean urine? No comment. Oh, my God. Yeah. We don't answer every question. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Well, that was, got to be honest, distressing for me to hear. I'm going to go with mustard because Cleveland's progressive field, famous for its mustard, Burtman Ballpark mustard, and... You know, it seems to me like not only reasonable to assume that Francona will wind up covered in the stuff at some point, it seems almost miraculous that it hasn't happened, at least as far as I know. Like, it just seems like this is a thing that should have happened to this man at this point. The other thing, though, that you always have to consider is a gum-related incident Hmm. because he chews this, like, revolting wad of so much gum and tobacco mixed together, right? Is that right? That is, like, horrifying and seems like certainly something that could fall off of him and he wouldn't realize that it was stuck to another part of him and then he discovers it later like Thank God in his he's inner not, thigh uh, or something. Not pulling a Sean Spicer and eating it. Well, we don't know that. <laughs> That's we just don't know oh that. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a chance that both of these things happen this postseason. I think you're right. The future is bright. And that's what's so great about Terry Francona. So unpredictable, but also just very predictable at the same time. All right, final question. Mal. Yeah. Forget Halloween. Mm-hmm. Which piece of baseball eye candy is going to give America a collective (laughs) cavity this October? My goodness. Okay, so it's time to talk about hot dudes. Finally. Let's do it. Wow, This uh, this is tough. I feel compelled to at least mention Chris Bryant here. He's... He's one of America's sweethearts, right? He is just objectively a good-looking guy who has now won a championship, was smiling like a buffoon while completing the final out of the game. He's a meme. Beautiful eyes. It's like looking into the clearest crystal water. Yeah. Looks a lot better with his hat on. Yeah, everything below the broom is great. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a factor. I'm a fan of George Springer. I think the Astros in general are a very good-looking team. My vote, though is for you, Darvish, of your Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> I just think that Darvish is so charming and charismatic, and something about the way he carries himself is just very compelling. He also is like a very, I'll try to keep this as PG as possible, <laughs> but a very fruitful 
Google image search subject because yeah. when he was in Japan, he was in a lot of uh, very imaginative magazine photo shoots and also is just apparently not afraid to walk around the clubhouse in very small underwear and then let people take pictures of him. So you, Darvish, has my vote and my sincere affection. How about you? <laughs> Well, my th- my immediate thought with this is Matt Kemp isn't in the playoffs, but right. we should both just agree oh that it's Matt God. Kemp. Of course, um, it's always Matt Kemp. It's always Matt Kemp. My pick would be uh, the Alicia Vikander of the Diamond, Corey Seager. Just oh. go look up a picture of Corey Holy Seager. Shit. <laughs> look up a picture of Alicia Vikander. Just tell me that that's not spot on. Wow. I thought Corey Seager was great in, in Ex Machina. <laughs> he was, and in The Danish Girl. Um, <laughs> so I sent a picture of Chris Bryant, Corey Seager. It's my girlfriend, mm-hmm. the lovely Leanie. She chose Corey Seeger. This is verbatim her take. Sweet eyes and strong, but not too strong. Same jaw of the guy who Lauren Conrad and the other girl fought over on Laguna Beach. Oh my goodness. Interesting. This is her take on Chris Bryant. Second guy is not someone I would ever accept a mixed drink from. Wow. But can I ask you what picture <laughs> of Chris Bryant you sent her? He has a hat on. I'm shocked. Yeah. I'm shocked. Yeah. Wow. I, I put my finger on the scale and that, that was still the response we got. On the Ringer Twitter feed last postseason, we ran a Twitter poll that said which emoji, I can't forget the exact phrasing, but it was essentially which emoji looks the most like Chris Bryant's eyes. And it was just a bunch of really bright blue, shiny objects. So, wow, I guess Weenie probably won't be participating in version two of that poll this October. She'll be uh, sad to say she'll be on the Michael Fassbender train. (laughs) (laughs) I know that Chris Ryan's wife, Phoebe, is also like a sincere Corey Seager enthusiast. So yeah, doesn't really care about baseball otherwise. <laughs> loves, loves Corey, Corey Seager, Seager though. All right. Well this was, I think we can agree, we saved the most uh the most important question for last there. 100%. And that was the kind of analysis that is gonna really prepare listeners for October. Now everybody who heard that knows what kind of man your girlfriend likes and they may or may not know anything about the playoffs, but we provided a service here today. I feel sure of it. I totally agree. We are going to talk a little bit more about Chris Bryant, though, because we are going to be joined by Ringer staff writer and Cubs fan Robert Mays right after a quick break for a word from Bill Simmons. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Wanted to make sure you were listening to the Bill Simmons podcast this year. We stepped it up with the guests. I don't even have time to list all of them, but let's just say we have had a who's who of A-listers, A-minus listers, B-plus listers, in sports, pop culture, movies, music. I mean, where else can you get Kevin Durant, Steve Ballmer, Jimmy Iovine, and Charlize Theron in the span of six weeks? Nowhere. The answer is nowhere. You can find that literally nowhere other than the Bill Simmons podcast. We are in year 11. It's been an honor to do it. Hope you subscribe. The Bill Simmons podcast. Check it out. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now, you might know him as Ringer staff writer. Robert Mays. You might know him as a football scribe. We know him as Bengal Bob the Bearded Wonder. (laughs) And he's also a Chicago Cubs super fan. Hey, guys. So as the playoffs are beginning and the defending champs are preparing for a National League Division series that no one seems to really care about. We thought it would be great I to have them on. I know the Cubs were in the playoffs I until know. right now. It's surprising to learn that the Cubs are in the playoffs. Why is that surprising? I don't understand why that's surprising. Because <laughs> no one's talking about them. That's great. I'm thrilled about it. That's actually where we wanted to start. Bobby, Bengal Bob. Generally speaking, just as a person in the world, 
as a citizen of Chicago, as a Cubs fan, how are you feeling about this year's team compared to last year's, not only in terms of their ability on the field, but in terms of the narrative around the team? Because the Cubs really dominated the conversation, not only last postseason, but last season, period, from spring training all the way through the end. And they are really, really kind of an under-the-radar team and story right now, maybe because of fatigue, maybe for other reasons. Do you actually find that preferable, or is it annoying to you? I don't mind it. I'm not in either one of those camps. I don't think I feel in in an extreme way about it either way. I think that it's okay on my book because I enjoyed that they were the story of last season. There was no chance that was going to happen again. I mean, even if they had won 100 games and they were another kind of dominant presence in the league, I feel like with everything that was going on with the Indians, with everything that happened with the Astros early, the Cubs probably would have gone on the back burner just because people get fatigued. They want it. That was really what the story was all about. So the fact that now they started off really slow, you could definitely see that fatigue early in the season. And now they led the NL and OPS over the second half. They were much, much better. They're getting hot at the right time and no one seems to care. I like that. I really don't mind. It's an interesting question though. Like, Last year, the Cubs were clearly the best team in baseball, but they had the super long drought. And this year, they're just, you know, by all numbers and their record, they're not as good. So were you more confident as a Cubs fan of them winning the World Series last year when it was something that magic told you it would never happen? (laughs) Or are you more confident this year now that that's sort of out of the way? I was more confident last year. I I think the baseball team was better last year. But the thing about last year's playoffs that gives me hope about this year It's not that the Cubs were down 3-1 to the Indians and almost lost. It's that the Cubs were three outs away in the bottom of the ninth in San Francisco from having to face Johnny Cueto in Game 5. They were down two games to one to the Dodgers. They were the best team in baseball last year and very narrowly won all of those series. I feel like they have so much talent that to me, all I ever cared about was getting into this dance and seeing what would happen. Because we know in baseball, the best team doesn't necessarily win. So I feel like that's the mindset I'm taking into this is that even that they aren't the best team, they were the best team last year and scraped by by the skin of their teeth. But as a person who grew up as a Cubs fan and basically was trained to expect crushing defeat, like how much did the fact that they actually finally broke through and defied the odds and defied the history? And as Ryan said, like basically made people believe that magic was real in the world. Warp your expectations. Like, are you sort of like, okay, I got it. We have one. I'm good now literally forever? Or are you suddenly entering? (laughs) Right, exactly. Are you suddenly entering October and saying, I actually expect this team to, if not win, at least seriously compete for another championship. And if it doesn't happen this year, then I expect to be right back here next year. I definitely feel the latter. I expect them to compete. Spoiled, greedy. Here we come a Red Sox fan. (laughs) It's mostly, I just think that they're a good team. I mean, it's not that I expect to win. It's just that I have watched this team over the last month and over the second half, and I think they're really good. I mean, it's it's not that there's some like, we are now the Cubs and we deserve to be here thing. I just believe in the players. (laughs) The logo doesn't mean much to me. I I don't think that we've somehow ascended to this classic franchise now because we won one World Series. That's not what it is. I just think that they're playing so well right now that they'll be in it. I am terrified of the teams they're going to have to play in order to do it. Maybe more terrified than I was last year. Well, you mentioned the players. Let's talk about them for a minute and kind of zoom into the actual club on the field and, and how it compares to last year's, which you basically looked at that roster and saw somewhere between zero and very few genuine areas of concern. When you're looking at this team, who 
on the individual player level, and this can be a hitter, this can be a starter, it can be a reliever, anyone, are you most confident in heading into the division series? And then on the flip side of that, who are you least confident in? Who are you worried about actually potentially fucking things up? The most confident is tough. I just think that a lot of guys in the lineup are playing well right now. I mean, it'll always be Bryant just because he's a cyborg. And it just seemed like all year was like, oh, you know, it's been a ho-hum Chris Bryant season. He hasn't been that great. Power numbers a little bit down. The guy is right around 30 homers. I believe he was second in the NL in war. His OPS is like 960. Like the guy is ridiculous. I think I'm going to be most confident in him. But pretty much up and down the lineup, I feel very good. The biggest question to me about the guys in the field and at bat is who's going to play, not who's going to play well. And that's the biggest issue. For me, the one I'm most concerned about is just the starting pitching staff. That's the biggest difference between this year's team and last year's team is that up and down the staff, there just isn't much certainty. Kyle Hendricks is legitimately the starter I feel most comfortable about going into the playoffs. Wow. And that's probably why he's starting game one. I mean, Lester has been really shaky, and I don't understand why that would be different. He's gotten hurt at the most inopportune moments. And the fact that Arietta looked really good for a huge stretch of the second half and then gets hurt right when he didn't need to. And it's not even just that it's one thing where as soon as it's healed, you're back to hamstring. Who knows how long that lingers? You know, that's why he's not starting until game four. So just the fact that there isn't much certainty with any of the starting pitchers, I mean, that's the thing you have to be most worried about. What player has changed the most? Your estimation of that player, who's this changed the most over the past year? since the World Series to now? I think Wilson Contreras has stepped up in terms of echelon. I think he is a much better baseball player now than he was a year ago. Now it's when he comes to bat, it's the Bryant Rizzo kind of category for me where it's like something good is going to happen here. He's been so good. And again, somebody just got hurt right when he started rolling. I also think Baez has grown a lot. You know, there used to be this book on him where as soon as it was two strikes, you could throw one in the dirt and it was over. And that isn't necessarily false. He swings at a lot of stuff he shouldn't, but I feel like he's grown. And that's the thing with this whole roster is that you people forget because they won the World Series last year, just how young all of these guys still are. Right. And most of them are still 24 years old. When they won the World Series last year, they were going to be better in a year. So I feel like the lineup is as good or better than it was last year. But the pitching staff is just so much shakier that I think in the long run, it's a net loss. The Chris Bryant thing, that's a really good point about how young they they all are and remembering that. Because the Chris Bryant thing, it almost reminds me of the Heisman Trophy atmosphere and how like basically impossible it is if you are actually a preseason favorite or one of the finalists the year before of course certainly if you were the winner to even really contend or to rise to that level in people's minds kind of regardless of what your numbers are because you're held you're measured fully against your own prior success and then what that success generated in terms of the hype so you could be excellent and it wouldn't matter because people would still think well you weren't better than like historic and that's such an unfair measuring stick yeah well it's like if you win mvp and then you have a worse season than your mvp season but it's still the best season it's like right on a massive curve (laughs) exactly right and it's with him it was this was the year where and i think you can easily trace it he had that hand injury his power numbers went down as a result but i think this is year where we really learned just how good of a baseball player chris bryan is like he's one of the best base runners in the game. And the fact that he's a six five guy and can do that is just ridiculous. He just does so many little things well, but he wasn't a dominant force. And I think coming off an MVP season, that's what people expected. You know, this is the year where he hits 40 homers, where he has that OPS that starts with a one. Yeah, you know, that's kind of what was in people's minds. And he wasn't that. He was just merely excellent. You have a chance, as somebody who lives in Chicago, to see that excellence in person. Mm-hmm. So how many games 
in an ideal world, are you, and you know, assuming the Cubs continue to advance, are you planning to attend in person this postseason? And then relatedly, we're asking this as people who care about you and also as baseball editors here at the ringer.com. <laughs> do you think that you could actually be in the press box for a Cubs playoff game or would you end up in journalism jail? Yeah, we're trying to plan out the coverage <laughs> on the fly. So I honestly don't know if I'll be able to do it <laughs> just because this is one of the last two true bastions of fandom that I have in my life. Like the Bears aren't that anymore because they can't be. I covered the league professionally. It's the Cubs and Mitchell Trubisky, right? Those are the two things. I mean, I mean, it's nine inch nails in the Cubs. Yeah, exactly. But like nine inch nails is not sports. <laughs> and like, so I think that I've tried to kind of preserve that for the Cubs and we'll have a longer conversation about this later. I will not be in Chicago for the their home games, in the NLD. Yes, so I will miss those. If they go to the NLCS, I will likely be at both of those games where they would play at home if those games are necessary. So, um, or all three of games, I guess it's two, three, two, right? So I'll be at two of the three games if they're if two of them are necessary. That's what I will say. That would be my estimate. What is the outcome of you being in a press box at the NLCS against the Dodgers? <laughs> I have an outburst that embarrasses both you guys and me. I, nobody wants that. <laughs> No, no, we don't want that. You're right. You're right. You could shave your beard. You could use some sort of disguise. You could also change the name on your credential. You know, or you could keep the beard and pretend to be Bauman. Isn't it incredible that shaving my beard is a disguise for me? For most people, they have to grow one. It is. Speaking of beards, that was something we wanted to talk to you about because there are great beards in baseball right now, and there are particularly great beards in the National League. And we don't want to put you on the spot with the really deep, penetrating questions, but that's really what the Ringer MLB show is about. It's about the hard-hitting boots-on-the-ground journalism. And so we're wondering, who has a better beard right now, you or Jake Arrieta? It's definitely Jake Arrieta. Mine's actually a little short right now because we had a weird heat wave late in the summer in Chicago. So I'm just starting to get into my fall winter. All your excuses. I'm sorry, Mal. I know that disappoints you. Well, it disappoints me when you suddenly (laughs) shave completely and or out of nowhere have a mustache like the day of an important meeting. I find that very jarring. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My facial hair means more to you than it does to me, which I've always appreciated. (laughs) I care about every part of your life. I really do. Robert, is there anything else that you want to share with us or the listeners about the Cubs or the playoffs in general or or Mitch Trubisky? We're not going to we're not going to hold you back. The the Cubs is just like the question right now in my mind is who's going to play and why? I, I feel like their issue now and Madden's issue is how do you get the right nine guys on the field just because they're so deep? So who's the odd guy out? I mean, there's three. You're assuming you're going to face three right handed starters on the Nationals, which means you probably can't keep Schwarber off the field considering 900 some OPS in the second half. He had 18 home runs. He was really good. And then is it Zobrist? Does Zobrist not get to play? Who plays center field? Uh, it's happened Zobrist and Schwarber and how that all gets figured out. I honestly don't know how it's going to happen. And I'm not envious of the man who has to decide. At least that man is Joe Madden. He's pretty good at his job. Yeah. So yeah. I think you can take comfort in that. I feel decent about it. I'm just, you know, this is how the dread seeps in. That's part of the reason that I can't just enjoy last season is because that's not how I'm wired as a person. I have no joy in my life. Oh. And I'm just, everything is so the darkest version. So I, that's how I am right now. I'm just very, very nervous about what's about to happen this weekend. You wouldn't be a true sports fan if you were actually able to enjoy your team's success. It's true. That's true. And That's Ryan true. knows because he's a Jets fan. Yes. I know. Nobody <laughs> can speak not, to this better than he can. We are not talking about that on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Robert. Thank you so much for joining us. We wish you luck. Uh, I don't know. Are we rooting for the Cubs? We're rooting for good baseball games. We're rooting for, for Robert. We're rooting for Robert. That's that right. means so much, guys. Thank well, we're you. We're also rooting for Claire. So, you know, that's we care about everyone who yeah, works at the ringer. That's true. And we also care about 
Chris Bryant and his beautiful eyes. So yeah, care more about you know, Chris Bryant than me. I mean, if I was between if I was picking between me and Claire, I'd pick Claire. So go with the Cubs players and not my life. Okay, you said it, not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Good luck. Thank Thanks, you, buddy. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Ryan and I love baseball, and Ryan and I absolutely love podcasting. So here we are, just cherishing this time with you. Please continue to check the Ringer MLB show feed. Ben and Michael will have just a ton of compelling digital content for you throughout the month. Their shows go up on Mondays and Thursdays throughout the playoffs. And again, keep an eye out because we're going to have some bonus shows from other Ringer staffers popping up every now and then. And also, please check out theringer.com because we're writing a lot about baseball and hopefully it's going to be really enjoyable and great. So you can check out everything that Michael, Ben, Zach Cram, Claire McNear, and everyone else on staff has to say about baseball. And, you know, in the meantime, just enjoy staring into Chris Bryant's beautiful crystal eyes. Looking at you, Lenny. 